Hey folks, I got a really good uh, one for you today, at least I hope you think so. Um, you know that big science study, 11,000 global warming scientists saying we're all doomed, they signed a big research report or something. Uh, I actually went through the names, not all 11,000, I didn't have that much time, but I went through all the Canadian names, there's about 400 of them, and I just started Googling, who are these people? And the answers will make you laugh, I swear. I wish you could see it because I show you their name on the petition and then I show you usually their LinkedIn page, you know, their, their, their biography, and I just show you who they really are. And to enjoy the podcast, I think you'll get a kick out of it. But can I encourage you, the reason I'm touting the video is because you can get the video version of these podcasts. Just surf over to premium.rebelnews.com. Sign up. It's eight bucks a month. You get access to my show, Sheila Gunn Reed Show, David Menzies Show. And uh, you support the Rebel. And listen, the podcast is going to be great. But I, w- I wish you could see how silly this is with your eyes. Okay, without further ado, here's today's podcast. Tonight, who are these 11,000 scientists who signed the latest global warming scare letter? I actually checked. You'll laugh so hard. It's November 6th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Unless you've been living in a cave with no internet service for the past few days, there's simply no way you haven't heard the official news narrative from the media party. That 11,000 scientists signed an emergency letter warning the world that we're all going to die because of global warming. It was everywhere. Identical stories, really. Absolute stenography. It's like they just republished a press release verbatim. Here's just one example from Justin Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster in Canada, but all the networks were just as bad. Here, listen to this kook read the news. Listen to her tone of voice. In recent months, climate emergencies have been declared by Canada and a number of other countries. I'm sure you've heard them. Cities have also sounded the alarm. Well, this morning, in a brand new declaration, 11,000 scientists from 153 countries are bolstering that claim. Here are some of what's in that declaration published in the journal Bioscience. The Alliance of World Scientists says it has a moral obligation to warn humanity. It says greenhouse gas emissions are still rising and that recent efforts to reduce them are not enough. The declaration also says the climate crisis is accelerating faster than many scientists predicted, that it's caused even more damage than many had feared. The alliance says it had to speak out. Why? Because climate change is threatening ecosystems and, get this, the fate of humanity. Scary words there. The fate 
of humanity. CBC senior science reporter Nicole Martellaro is going through this report. And Nicole, I know it's a big one, lots of dense information, but 11,000 scientists signed on. That's got to mean something. <laughs> what a nut. Her name is Suhana Maharshand. It won't surprise you to know that she's the ex of Adam Vaughn, an extremist MP from Toronto. What an incestuous little world it is, the CBC and the Liberal Party. But let's slow down what she said a, a bit. It, it wasn't a big report, in fact. It's not a big report at all. It's, it's not research. It's not a study. It, it has a few charts in it, but there's no research, nothing new here. It's an op-ed, an opinion editorial. Here's the actual publication, uh, as seen on the Oxford University Press website that published it. Do you see the category it's in? Do you see that? It, it, it says right there, viewpoint. You see that in yellow at the bottom? Viewpoint. It's not a study. It's, it's a rant. If you click on it, you can view it as a PDF. And you can see again, right at the top, we put it in yellow. It says viewpoint, right? And let me read the first few sentences to show you how sciency this is. Scientists have a moral obligation to clearly warn humanity of any catastrophic threat and to tell it like it is. On the basis of this obligation and the graphical indicators presented below, we declare with more than 11,000 scientist signatories from around the world, clearly and unequivocally that planet Earth is facing a climate emergency, climate emergency. Yeah, that, that's not science, that's not how scientists talk. Those are political words. But just a quick point, you, you heard that government journalist to Adam Marchand, talk about what a big report it was. It, it's not big. It's, uh, it's four short pages long, of which half are ultra-simplified charts, dumbed down for journalists. It's not a heavy report. It's very light. It's a press release pretending to be a study. Oxford, Oxford University Press clearly marked it as an editorial viewpoint. It, it's obvious that Maharshan herself never even looked at it, let alone read it. Now, I'm skeptical about anything the CBC says because not only are they media, which is bad enough, but they're state media. They're like Al Jazeera or Pravda. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed this, but now YouTube even puts a warning label under every CBC news video online, just like they do for Al Jazeera, pointing out that the CBC is a government broadcaster. Bit of a warning to you that you're watching propaganda. Anyways, this Alliance of World Scientists that put out this short study, um, not a study, it's a propaganda letter. Have you ever heard of the Alliance of World Scientists before, ever? Ever seen them, you know, publish any studies, hold a conference? Have you ever met a member of this or seen one on TV? Ever heard of them at all? Try Googling them. You just won't find it. It's, it's not a thing. It's this. It's a one-page homemade website set up by some guy in the forestry department at Oregon State University. It's a, it's a blog, but not even. It's just one page. It exists so that every time they publish another editorial like this, they can get thousands of strangers to sign it. But it sounds more impressive to say Alliance of World Scientists rather than we got some random strangers on the internet to click like. Seriously, scroll down and it says, we invite all scientists to sign a short article 
on climate change. You see that? That's what they do. That's all they do. It's, it's not a real thing, this alliance. Well, I clicked on that button to sign the letter because <laughs> I'm a scientist. What's the definition of that word anyways? But as you can see, when you click on it, it says signatures currently disabled um, because the letter is now being published. But if that's really who those 11,000 people are, just people on the internet, and if that's all this report is, a short editorial that they keep publishing every few years, I'm sorry, but that's a joke. But it sure was important for the propaganda to say there were 11,000 scientists signing this. And I wonder, are there even 11,000 climate scientists in the world? Now, maybe, come to think of it, is what a great way to get government grants. But boy, they sure seem to be putting a lot of stock in that 11,000 scientists number. Listen to that government journalist uh, just one more time. 11,000 scientists, but 11,000 scientists, 11,000 scientists, 11,000 scientists. Yeah. So you're saying there were 11,000 scientists who agree with you from more than 150 countries and that 400 of them were from right here in Canada. Well, then I guess the debate settled then because I guess that's how science works. Scientists have a vote by clicking like on the internet and that's how they settle empirical questions. Well, like I say, this wasn't a scientific experiment or research. It's just an editorial viewpoint. So I was curious. I know you're not supposed to question things, but I'm a natural skeptic. So I, I clicked on the list of scientists who signed this letter. It, it's right there on the Oxford University Press website. And indeed, it has thousands and thousands of names in it. I, I didn't want to read them all. But, you know, I actually took the time to go through and I looked at every single name from Canada. It took me a couple hours and I just started typing a few names into Google. Who are these scientists? And don't worry, I'm not going to show you all of them. But let me just show you some of my favorite people who are amongst those 11,000 scientists. 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 <laughs> I just started going through alphabetically. So here's Shannon Berg on the list. You see her name there? Uh, she's one of the Canadians on this list of 11,000 scientists. But is she a scientist or just someone who clicked that button I showed you as someone would click like on a Facebook post? Here's her LinkedIn page. Uh, she's a manager of a healthcare project in Alberta. Her training is as an occupational therapist. I read her entire resume. She seems like a really nice lady, really smart, very accomplished. But as an occupational therapist who now is a manager in a healthcare bureaucracy, she's not a scientist, certainly not a climate scientist, just someone who clicked like on that website I showed you. Okay, maybe that's just her. Let's go to literally the next name on the list, Terry Bird of Kwantlen Polytechnic. That's a vocational school. Those are the best kind of schools. They actually teach people practical things. And Terry Berg seems great. He even won an award. Let me quote. For his unwavering commitment to widening equitable access to education, his adaptations of multiple open textbooks and other OER production in developmental algebra and physics, and for his selfless dedication to serving our most marginalized students, we present Kwantlen Polytechnic's 
fine instructor Terry Berg with the BC Campus Award for Excellence in Open Education. So, he, so he's not a climate scientist, he's a teacher at a vocational school and he's a, such a good guy, he makes free textbooks available to marginalized students. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but it sounds really good. But he's not a climate scientist. I, I don't even think he's a scientist at all, actually. Okay, let's keep going down the list alphabetically. Here's David Boyd, um, except he, he's, a, he's a lawyer. Does it get any lower? No, I'm just kidding. I used to be a lawyer too, but I'm, I'm sure he's nice. I'm sure he's a nice guy, um, but he's a lawyer. He's, he's, not a, he's not a scientist. Okay, let's keep going alphabetically. Here's George Burlesu on the list. Take a look at him. He seems like a solid guy. Uh, he works at a company that makes light bulbs. Uh, he's, he's not a scientist. Here's Peter Carter. Is he a climate scientist or a scientist at all? No, he is not. Peter is a retired doctor after nearly 40 years in practice as a family physician, first in England and then in Newfoundland in British Columbia, Canada. Like I say, he seems like a, like a this is his, his blog here. Um, that's Peter down there. Looks, looks like a great family doctor. Seems like a caring man. He's retired now. He even set up this state-of-the-art website you're looking at to express his feelings about climate. Of course he signed the petition. He's not a scientist. Here's Vanessa Cato. She's on the list, and she seems really smart. Look at this. She teaches physiology at the School of Medicine and Dentistry at the University of Alberta. I like dentists, but they're not, they're not really scientists, and they're not climate scientists. That's just someone who clicked like on that website I showed you. Okay, let's keep going alphabetically. Here's Antoine Clark. Again, seems like a great guy. He works at a hospital for sick children. Anyone who works at a hospital for sick kids is a good guy. But he is not a climate scientist. He's a data analyst at a kid's hospital. Oh, let's keep going on. Here's Rhiannon Rhiannon Davies. Uh, she's not a climate scientist. She's the assistant director of summer academic programs at this amazing place called Appleby College. It is a private school for the ultra rich. I am not joking. Tuition for their high school program is as high as $74,000 a year for high school. So yeah, not a climate scientist, but pretty cool gig. Um, here's the next one. Here's a woman with the wonderful name, I gotta pronounce it carefully, Aviva Kundliff. Um, and here's her LinkedIn page. She seems interesting. She's the CEO of something called Green Carbon. Her bio says she's the chief scientist for GC Green Carbon, Inc., and uh, she is a focused, energetic, and talented scientist who identified the thermostat of the planet in 2018. Now, that sounds pretty sciencey. I've got to admit, I didn't know that there was such a thing as a thermostat of the planet. Maybe that's just another way of saying the sun. But she would know, after all, she has multiple degrees from 
Atlantic International University. Have you ever heard of, of them before, Atlantic International University? Me neither. But it, it's not really a university as you or I know it. it. It's got a mailing address in this office tower in Honolulu, which, as you know, is not in, on the Atlantic. Uh, it, it doesn't have a campus. And um, how do I put this? It's not accredited. It is not a real university. It is a diploma mill. If you pay them $6,500, they will give you a bachelor's degree. If you pay them $8,000, poof, you're a doctor. I'm not saying that Viva Cundliffe isn't nice or smart or that she hasn't found the thermostat of the planet. In fact, come to think of it, She's actually 100% perfect. She's the perfect person to sign this global warming freakout letter by the fake Alliance of World Scientists that is then peddled by the fake news outlets. I, I take it all back. Viva Cundliffe is perfect for this petition. Speaking of go-getters, here's William Knapp. Who's he? His LinkedIn page says he graduated with a statistics degree in the 1970s, and then he worked for DuPont for 35 years. But for the past 12 years, he's been the boss of BioH2Gen. No idea what it is, but um, here's his website, and he says he's looking for money. Uh, maybe he should sell some degrees to Viva Kundla. Uh, next on the list, I'm going alphabetically, here's, uh, of Canadians, here's Alexander Diaz. Um, he, he's a student. He's, he's studying education. It's a good idea. In his free time, he's a running instructor. He seems like a nice guy, not a scientist. Here's Ann Erickson on the list. See that? Um, she's, a, she, she's a kid's author who specializes in climate hysteria. A global warming scientist? No. Well, yes, if you believe the CBC. Here's Antonia Mills. She seems nice. Uh, reminds me of that uh, Democrat, Marion Williamson. You know who I'm talking about? I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field, and sir, love will win. I like her. Um, anyways, Antonia Mills, she's an expert. How do, I, how do I say this? I just should just come right out and say it. Um, she's an expert in reincarnation. I'm serious. Let me quote from her biography. She has been awarded a Shastri Indo-Canadian Institute Fellowship for a longitudinal study of young adults who were said to remember a previous life. She teaches undergraduate and graduate courses and one on indigenous perspectives on reincarnation and rebirth at both levels. Climate scientists? Yeah, close enough for the CBC. Speaking of feelings, Mariko Visserman is on the list. She seems amazing. Here's her biography. I currently work as a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Toronto and York University, Toronto. I study romantic relationships with a central focus on sacrifice, e.g. balancing self and relationship interests, perceptions of partner sacrifice experiences and intentions and determinants of gratitude in response to partner sacrifice. On the one hand, I absolutely can't believe our tax dollars are going to pay for that. And um, then, on the other hand, um, 
I, I, I guess that's sort of hot. I don't know. Uh, climate scientists? Well, global warming, I don't know. Here's Mark Stoddard on the list. Um, he's, a, he's a sociologist. Here's Vicki Husband on the list. She's an eco-activist. Here's Marina Cortez. She's not a climate scientist. She writes papers for the Perimeter Institute with really heavy questions like, why is time always moving forward and never backward? That's the subject of this presentation here. That's a really good question. Why does time move forward and not backward? But that's not really a climate science question. It reminds me of something Justin Trudeau might say when he's kicking back with Gerald Butts and smoking some really good weed. We have to rethink elements as basic as space and time to go all science fiction-y on you in this sense. Yeah, thanks. Now, I'm going to stop now. I promise you that is just a sample. Could you imagine who else is in the other thousands of names here? It is just people literally signing a form on the internet. There's no vetting. There's no qualifications. It's exactly the same as clicking like on someone's Facebook page. The only reason why I couldn't be one of these expert scientists is because I thought of the idea too late. But not this guy. I was working my way through the Canadians alphabetically, and I was tired and bored, and then I came across this lad, Hans Weinhold, from Mohawk College. And his expertise, as you can see, is listed as BS detection and analysis. Now, I've gone through a few hundred of these now, so I'm thinking BS, that could mean Bachelor of Science. And detection and analysis sounds like something you might say if you're a global warming scientist. But maybe it's just what it looks like. BS is in bullshit. I was already all the way down to the W's now, so I was tired, but I, I Googled the guy. And, and I found his Facebook page. That's him in the mask there, I think. And I don't know if you could see, but he, he put his job down as welfare. Well. So far, I had, as you can see, I discovered no information to suggest he's not real. I mean, I already showed you some, some hard-wing, <laughs> hard-line hard lefty professors. So this guy's an Antifa goon in a mask, maybe? And saying he takes welfare? Well, tell me half these bureaucrats I've shown you do anything more than just waste your tax dollars all day, you know, 100 grand a year in some useless field of study. I mean, I really like Mariko, but seriously, What's she doing studying relationships and posting selfies that a thousand girls aren't doing on Instagram, but I don't have to subsidize them through my tax? But this guy, Hans Weinhold, is that him there? This is from his Facebook page. Is that him catching a fish? That's very environmental. But look at that hat. Is that, is that a Trump hat? Does that make America great again? And, and what's this? Look at this picture. Is that an InfoWars shirt? And here he is in a yellow vest, and he's wearing a Make Canada Great Again hat. I think that's one of ours here from The Rebel. And look at this from his Facebook page. I won't even read it. I'll just let you enjoy it. My friends, I think I found the one guy on the entire list of 11,000 people 
who has a sense of humor, who signed it as a joke to prove it was a joke. I actually think he's probably kidding about being on welfare too. I, I went through his Facebook page and he praises hard work and scoffs at politicians and know-nothings. I, I literally sifted through hundreds of self-righteous, self-important know-nothings, every single one of them living on the government dole in some way. They were the real welfare recipients and not a single one of them a climate scientist at all. 11,000, 11,000, 11,000, 11,000. No, sister, there weren't 11,000 climate scientists signing a report. There were 11,000 bored bureaucrats taking a break from playing solitaire at work who clicked like on some editorial they didn't even read and that was then breathlessly repeated by journalists who didn't read it either. And not a single one of those journalists bothered to check who these 11,000 scientists are. Yeah, it's 10,999 virtue signaling prats. And one practical joker from Hamilton, who loves him his Trump hat. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. I have to tell you, I don't keep a lot of souvenirs or mementos, and I certainly don't collect autographs. But there is one memento given to me by a former foreign minister of Canada, also former environment minister. His name is John Baird. And he gave this to me out of the blue. I was so surprised. Uh, this is a, a copy of it. I have the original. It says, Ezra, a man ahead of his time. John. And this is a copy of the actual letter sent by John Baird to the United Nations back in, I think it was 2011, notifying the UN that Canada was officially leaving the Kyoto Protocol, saying goodbye to the whole madness. And this was just the icing on the cake. The fact that John Baird gave me this as memento showed that he knew exactly what I cared about. And in fact, I've treasured that little memento ever since. Well, I've got even more amazing news for you. Donald Trump has sent the same letter to the United Nations. Here, take a look at this. I am fighting every day for the great people of this country. Therefore, in order to fulfill my solemn duty to protect America and its citizens. The United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord Thank you. Well, there you have it. Now, it takes one year for the notice provision to work its way through, but it is a done deal. And de facto, of course, America has been out for several years. Joining us now to talk about this moment is our friend from ClimateDepot.com, Mark Morano. Mark, I hope you get a signed copy of the official <laughs> notice yourself. I'm sure you would put it on a plaque on the wall behind you. Yes, I would. I mean, this is 
This is probably the greatest uh, achievement, both symbolic and factual, of the Trump administration and, and international and domestic policy. It's a great one because it combines both international policy and domestic policy. It says we're not going to be beholden to the international uh, whims of the United Nations regulations, and we're not going to affect U.S. policy by climate insanity. So this is just Donald Trump being pure Donald Trump, Donald Trump a nationalist, America first figure. Um, and this is why, you know, his base loves him. This is why the media hates him. Uh, this is probably the most offensive thing that President Trump has done, uh, according to the mainstream media and to the, uh, you know, liberals in America. You, he could not do anything more damaging. And, and he's following up on his pledge from June, uh, was it 2017, uh, to get us out this letter yesterday uh, Secretary of State Pompeo, it's following up. It's a complex process. Still takes another year before we're formally out, before the United States is formally out. But this is a moment where Donald Trump shines uh, to his supporters and is literally the devil to his detractors. Yeah. You know, the timing is delicious. I think the, the expiry of the one-year notice provision is pretty much spot on. Uh, the day of uh, next year's presidential election, of course, before yeah. the, the next president is inaugurated. So Donald Trump will still be president. It's just great. Um, <clears throat> you and I have talked about uh, the importance of the climate file, the environment file. Uh, we were huge fans of Donald Trump's first EPA boss. And when he was drummed out by the Washington deep state, we were both worried that that was the end of Trump's uh, war on junk science and war on climate globalism. Here we are three years into the term. America is now a net exporter of energy, the world's largest producer of energy. Fracking is full tilt ahead. LNG is full tilt ahead. Oil production uh, in Texas, in the Bakken is at the highest ever, I think. Um, you see the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. You see offshore drilling in the Gulf. I think that you and I were nervous a few years ago, but looking back on the first three years, I think he's pretty much done everything he said he would do. Am I right? Yeah, he really has. Uh, I mean, on environment and energy policy, uh, it is just phenomenal. Uh, we are having the American energy renaissance under President Trump. Now, the one dark spot is coal. And the problem is, you know, Murray Energy just declared bankruptcy last week. The problem is coal has two problems. A, there was a war on coal for eight years under President Obama that just you know, destroyed, slaughtered. And secondly, fracking of natural gas has become so efficient, so abundant, so um, uh, advanced that coal is really the real enemy of coal at this point is the new technology. Or I shouldn't say new technology of fracking, but the booming fracking industry. And so that's what's happening in places like uh, you know, Pennsylvania and other states. So that's the one area where I don't know how successful President Trump can be, but it has been an energy boom in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so what happens now is a referendum next year, 2020, as we head into the U.S. presidential election, it is going to be a referendum on the Green New Deal and energy policy. Mm -hmm. We are literally faced with a stark choice, President Trump, to continue this policy of the American Renaissance, or it's going to be a complete and a, and a 180 degree turn back the other way. We are talking every Democratic presidential candidate is pledging to ban 
fracking. Not only fracking, but plastic straws and car and uh, the uh, uh, automobiles and have rotating fleets of electric vehicles. We have candidates that are talking about banning every conceivable form of energy except solar and wind, which they think is going to magically replace it. So as good as President Trump is, he's got to up his game in 2020 because he's got to run on this. And I think this is this is one reason why President Trump is leading in all of these key states that he won last time that are, you know, the Rust Belt states that re rely on American energy. Uh, it's because of these policies. But, you know, there's still a lot of other states, New York, California, that are going to be out voting against him in this. So this is it's a jump ball, I think, for next year, whether we continue these policies, go back in the or go back in the Paris Agreement and start banning American energy. All those numbers you just mentioned, Ezra, would reverse in the next four years if a Democrat's elected. Yeah. You know, the state I visited the most in your country, Mark, um, is Pennsylvania. I've been there so yes. many times, uh, mainly to study the fracking boom there. Now, that's largely gas as opposed to oil. but it, it's almost a perfect transition as coal was being eliminated first by Obama and then by the, the cheap competition of natural gas. You could almost see, in fact, you would drive down the same road, you'd see a steel mill or a coal mill literally being shut down, and then you would see a gleaming new fracking facility like an ethylene plant or ethene plant or just a frac yeah. pad. And 200,000 jobs, instead of just evaporating, moved over. They were still in the state. They were still hard work, blue collar jobs, well paying six figure jobs in many cases. The same guys, but it, and it, still in the fossil fuel business, fracking saved Pennsylvania. It was the antidote to all those Bruce Springsteen songs about the factory shutting down, the mills shutting down, you know, those sad yes. songs like Born in the USA. Um, Fracking saved the day. And, and let me come to my point, Mark. Uh, I visited Washington County, Pennsylvania the most, because that's really the, the heart of fracking in Pennsylvania. And I studied the voting there. In 2008, that place went for Obama pretty heavy by a double-digit margin. By 2012, yes. Obama's lead was cut in half. And by 2016, Trump won Washington County, Pennsylvania, by, I don't want to go from memory, by, by thousands of votes, almost enough to sway the whole state and flip Pennsylvania for the first time in a generation from Democrats to Republicans. I guess my point is the people in that neighborhood understood that fracking was going to save their community and that the Democrats were against energy and fracking. And I think, I really think, Mark, that Pennsylvania voted for Trump because of the fracking revolution. And I hope that all these states, especially the fracking states, the steel states, even the coal states, that they don't go to the party that would phase out those very industries that saved them. I can't see that happening. In fact, my parents are both from Pennsylvania, Scranton and Uniontown. I go to Pennsylvania all the time. I just testified in Pennsylvania last week at a house hearing in, in the the, uh, the capital of Harrisburg, the Democratic governor named Tom Wolf wants to ruin Pennsylvania's success story. Now, remember, Pennsylvania is one of the biggest success stories in the country. States like Pennsylvania are the reason the United States is kicking the rear ends of all the European signatories of the UN Paris Agreement and reducing our emissions because of the fracking boom. But their governor, 
Ezra, this is unbelievable. The Democratic governor of Pennsylvania wants to get them in the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, the RGGI, and tie in Pennsylvania's energy policies with those of Massachusetts, Vermont, New York. I went and testified and I said, New York has nothing to teach Pennsylvania about energy. They banned fracking in New York. They are anti energy. And I said, you have nothing, you have everything to teach New York. It should not be the other way around because if they're actually considering executive order of the government of the governor of Pennsylvania, ruining Pennsylvania's success story and making essentially introducing a carbon tax in Pennsylvania. So even a state like Pennsylvania, that's a success story has a democratic governor that wants to take them down the carbon tax green new deal route. It is a fight in every state. It is a dividing line of America right now, this battle. Huh. Well, that's so scary. I mean, a, a thousand things have been helped by fracking in that state. All the country roads that are paved, paid for yes. by the fracking companies. Um, it's not just the 200,000 men and women working uh, that's the boon and the taxes they pay, but also lower power prices for every, like the idea that they would throw that away is almost as insane as Alberta shutting down its oil sands. But as it, you may know, that's actually well, happening. Yes, it's ideology. I mean, it happens. It's not people don't look down and they look at it practically. This is a religious ideological view. They actually believe it. Now, in Pennsylvania, they had the pen, essentially the pen head of the Pennsylvania EPA testified the hearing where I was. And he guess what he bragged about, Ezra? How many more jobs solar and wind employed in Pennsylvania? So I'm like, wait a minute. Here is the state director, the EPA head, essentially, of the state of Pennsylvania, bragging about solar and wind employing more people than the fossil fuel That's industry. That's not true. Let's take a look at that number. That's just not it true. It turned out, I, can't, I don't have it. I don't, again, I don't want to pull it up. I believe it was about 15% from so-called renewable. So you had essentially more employees producing a fraction of the energy of the fossil fuel workers in Pennsylvania. In other words, Pennsylvania has reduced the bragging that they have a, a bunch of a lot of workers producing virtually no energy and they want to shut down the efficient workers who are producing massive amounts of energy. And that's true nationally in the United States. One study found, I think it was one coal worker produces the energy of 73 solar workers. In other words, Fossil fuels produce so much energy, but what they end up doing is bragging about the number of jobs. And the only reason you get those jobs is from government subsidies, mandates, forced jobs. In other words, make work in, in a sense, because they're not producing energy. So as, as, as much as we think Pennsylvania is a success story, in place right now, right now they have a Republican legislator stopping a lot of this, but a Democratic governor is literally going the route of AOC, the Green New Deal, carbon taxes, and in uh, the ways of New York. And it's it's wow. it's an amazing thing to watch because you're right. You see a huge success story. You think you'd want other states to copy it. Instead, the state itself wants to commit energy suicide, which is what, uh, unfortunately, Pennsylvania could be on the brink of. Oh, my God. That You know what? It would, it's just terrible if that would happen. Let me uh, throw back to a speech Trump gave. And I think he might have even yep. given this speech in Pennsylvania. We're talking a lot about Pennsylvania. I didn't mean for that to happen, but it's just, it's the success <laughs> I story I think of. Yep. And it's so wonderful to see. And as a Canadian, I'm so jealous of it because I know there's a lot of natural gas that could be fracked in Canada, both in Quebec and the Atlantic. And of course, we have the Bakken geological formation in Saskatchewan too. But look at this speech from Trump where he is crystal clear what the two polar opposites here are. Take a look. Present the citizens of Pittsburgh, not Paris.
Yeah, pretty obvious. Pittsburgh or Paris. And that's the thing. In Canada, I just learned that our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has literally 13 full-time lobbyists, diplomats, and bureaucrats trying to convince other United Nations countries to vote for Trudeau to be on the Security Council because the non-permanent members of the Security Council, they rotate on. And Trudeau is so intent on sucking up to the world's dictatorships and, and OPEC countries. He's got 13 full-time lobbyists begging, you know, Venezuela and Nigeria and Iran to vote for Canada. He is clearly putting, you know, Algeria ahead of Alberta. Trump putting Pittsburgh ahead of Paris is exactly why the United States is booming. Last word to you. Well, this is a battle, you know, again, 2020 is the referendum in the United States on which way we go here. And I say it's a toss up at this point. I mean, anything could happen. And I think uh, the United, by the way, the United Nations, uh, interesting thing, we talked about this last week, Chile had to cancel their UN summit because of they followed the UN climate policies mm -hmm. and, the, and the population revolted in deadly riots. Now they've moved it to Madrid. Um, this will be the last UN conference before the US election. So I would expect a lot of more than usual Trump bashing at this UN's climate summit in Madrid as they try to set the world stage to, for the United States to get rid of Trump so that we can again join those allegedly enlightened nations that are forward looking and, and want a centrally planned energy economy and want UN bureaucrats ruling over us. So th that's where we're headed right now as, as, the, as the big push against Trump internationally is about to happen. And I'm sure Trudeau will be at the head of that, uh, at the head of that bandwagon against Trump at the UN climate summit. Well, Mark, I've had a Swedish teenager uh, listening into our conversation. I'd just like to play a, a clip from here. Um, what does the young Swede have to say about what you and I've been talking about. How dare you? <laughs> how dare you, Mark Moreno? Oh, how by the way, <laughs> how dare she? She is now uh, looking to hitchhike somehow across the ocean. She was planning on going to Chile, but now she's got to get to Madrid. Former New York Times reporter Andrew Revkin, Ezra, has come out and said, why don't we all batch buy a whole bunch of carbon credits so she can fly back to Madrid for the summit? This is how deep the virtue signaling is going. The mainstream media in league with Greta Thunberg trying to help her justify a, a fossil fueled flight back to Europe. Uh, otherwise, they don't know how she's going to get there. Is she going to take a yacht in December in the choppy waters of the Atlantic back? You know, it's crazy. And how dare you? I still say as, uh, her comments, Greta's comments, to the U.N., I agree with. How dare the UN <laughs> imply that they can control world temperatures, that they can control world energy? If you look at what she's saying, she's disappointed and disgusted by the UN. I think that's a view all healthy climate skeptics can and should take so we can stand with Greta and asking, how dare you to the United Nations? for implying that they can control global weather and temperature. Well, listen, don't get me started on my Greta Im impressions. <laughs> you have stolen my dreams. I won't get into it, but it is too much fun. I don't know if you know this, Mark, but R. Kean Bexty was the first journalist I've ever seen uh, to catch up with Greta and have a bit of a conversation with her about her hypocrisy before she was whisked away by her handlers. If you haven't seen that, I'll have to send you the link over a million views. I think he's the only journalist in North America to have done it. Um, certainly, uh, that's the way Trudeau would go, but Trump, uh, Trump is the way I wish our country would go. Mark, great to see you again. Thanks for your time. Thank you.
All right, there you have it. Well, just a reminder is that every year we send Sheila Gunn-Reed to this global warming conference, and we see Mark there all the time. Sheila has gone, and she doesn't buy carbon credits, I can assure you. And this year, Kian has expressed interest in going too, so we're going to have the tag team, the duo of Sheila and Kian going, and we were going to send them to Chile, and we learned it's in Madrid. We obviously have to crowdfund our plane tickets, economy class, to go there. I don't know if we'll be let in. We're usually banned from the actual conference, but I think that makes our reporting actually better because we're not just regurgitating press releases. So we'll keep you posted when we know the details. As far as I know, they haven't really locked in the date of the Madrid conference or even the exact location, because it was just a week ago that Chile announced it was canceling because of these energy poverty riots. All right, that's uh, this segment. Stay with us, more ahead in a moment. Hey, what do you think of that uh, global warming letter and its 11,000 signatories? Um, that was a huge story. That was published everywhere. And I don't think a single journalist bothered to check who signed it. There aren't 11,000 climate scientists. And it wasn't even a study. It was just some editorial. I went through it and it... It was exactly as if they had this huge breaking news about some guy who made a Facebook post and, and a lot of people liked it. That's exactly all this was. I don't know. I think it just goes to show you can't trust the word the media party says. What do you think? Send me an email with your thoughts. Ezra at rebelnews.com. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here, at Rebel World Headquarters. Good night, and keep fighting for freedom.